0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Six Feats Under. We got a very exciting uh, bonus feats episode for you today. We're going to be playing Last Stand. And uh, joining myself from the regular crew, we have the illustrious Ambisagrus, Gnome, Garbad, and Medibot. Say hello, everybody.
1: Hi. Hi. And
0: <laughs> Oh, goodness. And our very special guest is a friend of the show. Please introduce yourself how you'd like to be introduced.
2: Hi everyone, I'm uh, Public Opinion. I uh, occasionally draw things, write lots of 13th Age monsters on my Twitter, and have nothing to do with the game we're playing tonight.
3: (laughs) Uh, That's the way it goes sometimes. All Uh, fan-out is canon. (laughs)
0: It's
3: true, it's true.
0: Uh, Especially yours. I was going to say that garbage man from, uh, from the Forge arc, but I forgot his name. But that that was a great one of yours. Uh, Oh,
2: uh, Cyrus. Yes, Cyrus.
0: And his little assistant buddy.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, And also, uh, thanks again for all of the many incredible monsters you make and share for everyone to use. And I have stolen more than my fair share. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we're going to talk about something a bit different from... uh, Something that doesn't really come up in 13th Age at all, but is very prominent in Last Stand, and that is risk-reward mechanics. The idea that you can take uh, an action that could very well blow up in your face, but there's also a chance that uh, your gamble will pay off in a big way. So, um, what are, in addition to, actually a good way to start is with, uh, how does Last Stand do that? Does anybody want to? Uh, answer that question.
4: I feel like I probably should since I'm running it today. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Last Stand is particularly fun because it's based around like poker chips as the core mechanic. Uh, everyone will have like three to start with and you have to wager them on some of your powers and if you roll the dice good, you get your wager back and a bonus on top of that. If you don't, you just lost the tokens and then just did a lesser effect for your power. And that's like at the core of it. And then it throws in all this other stuff, like some powers make you... Like the bases, you roll 2d10, and if either result comes up with numbers, you get bonuses. Some powers make you only roll 1d10. There's at least one power that makes you roll 2d12 for even better odds. And they just do a bunch of stuff with that.
1: There's also collateral. Collateral is kind of attached to really powerful moves, but... You risk doing damage to the entire team every single time you use them. So, very powerful moves. You're just hoping you don't accidentally hurt everybody. Yep.
4: And collateral can also have some bonus side effects, too, depending on certain stuff, which I obviously included because that's fun. And I think everyone has collateral. That'll be great. Oh, yeah, like
3: like a dozen. (laughs) Just a touch.
0: Uh, so that's how this sort of idea is manifested in the rules of this game. Does anyone have uh, some other games in mind that uh, uh, take risk and reward and do something with them, or, or hopefully something really interesting?
1: Um, most, most of the time when I'm playing a game, the risk and reward isn't really codified. It's, it's in the whole idea of, you know, tactically speaking... Do I charge the mage? Do I do all that stuff? And this is, I think, the first game that really sat down other other than like World of Darkness where you can always botch a roll. But that's nothing that's something you can't choose, you know? Right. You can't choose am I gonna risk a botch? You're always risking a botch. Here you can you can if you want to, you can make a character that has no wagering and no collateral and just play this completely safe character. Or you, the fun, <laughs> or you can just make a character who does nothing but wager and collateral and literally can't act any other way. It and says... also, there's different risks
4: with wager and collateral. You're a lot more safe with wagers than you are with collateral powers, because collateral hurts everybody, but wagers are just less good if you don't win.
2: Yeah, there's this one a pair of powers, uh, throw caution to the wind and come back caution, that kind of, like, exemplify. I mean, one's collateral, the other's a wager. And uh, with the collateral one, you know it's, you know you don't have to spend your tokens. You just get to do this thing, and sometimes you hurt your buddies. But you get to be rocking around the field like a madman and punching bugs in the face. With comeback caution, you know it's it takes tokens. You have to wager them, and uh, you don't you don't even get to roll. You know your your attack. It's it's set is the deal. You kind of get average results. Mm-hmm. So if you're willing to, you know, play it safe, it's something isn't tough, you can just cherry-tap it to death.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I think comes up in sort of a, a, a less tactical way, I think uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games actually have a, a high uh, uh, potential, at least, for doing risk and reward, but uh, narratively. you know, uh, Most of your moves are going to have a list of things you could get Uh, By triggering them and also a list of ways things could go terribly wrong now in most cases It's going to be uh, like what Garbad said earlier where the reward is just a a plain success Though you are risking these problems, but you know if if you were to uh, I'm sure there are examples of of the many many flavors of that engine out there now or you can easily conceive one that does uh, uh, pump up the risk and make it more of a gamble and less of a a drawbacks you're risking.
1: Uh, I would would say probably that would be like, there would probably some individual move where if you fail, something terrible happens. But for the most part, I would put that, I would put uh, the Apocalypse Engine games kind of in the same realm, at least as this, as World of Darkness, where there's always a chance of something going wrong. I can't really think of too many absolutely safe moves that you can make in a game like that. Well, what I like about
4: Apocalypse World specifically is that you choose your flavor of risk. Like, when things go wrong you get a say in sort of how it goes. Like, if you choose one of these three things to go wrong like, you control what level of risk you're taking basically. Like, what kind of risk. It's risk management in a different way. It's more narrative, as Ironic has said.
0: So, uh, what are uh, uh, some aspects of this sort of risk-reward uh, structure that are that, that make things engaging or make it fun? Like, Last Stand is built on it. Last Stand is fun. Why is that? How, what, what's the middle step? <laughs> well, I think the middle step is that, like, it
4: can't just be risk for the sake of risk. You have to be doing something with it. Um, has anyone here ever watched the show The Genius? I know I've recommended it a million times. <laughs> I've,
2: yeah, I've heard seen you talk about many it. Many mentions on Twitter, but I have not tracked it down myself yet.
4: You're all fools. I will link you. Um, <laughs> in The Genius, there's a lot of games where there's like hidden information and stuff. Um, trying to think of oh, a specific example. There was this game that was called uh, Open Pass, where What you had to do is you had to flip over cards completely at random and try to make like the biggest number was the idea of the game and you could buy additional cards and you had like a random draw deck and you would create a deck to hand to the dealer and the dealer would just flip up random cards after shuffling it. The gimmick of it though was that you told them which cards to keep and which cards to throw away and you got 10 cards total out of your 40 card deck. They would put a card out and you'd say, keep open or pass. And open, they'd flip it, pass, they'd toss it away and you'd never see it. But the gimmick was like, it's a risk versus reward because you don't know what you're going to get until they realize ways to cheat. So like a lot of risk versus reward is like mitigating risk as well. You got to figure out the kinks in the system and the ways to know what you're going to flip before you've even flipped over the card or seen what it is.
0: Very tricky stuff. Uh, I I think one thing that makes risk-reward stuff interesting is that it sort of... It it obviously creates a large amount of tension where uh, you want to go for things that could blow up in your face because the prize is so good. You know? Right. Uh, And also it it sort of creates a parallel to a a more high-stakes way of thought. Like, um, something out of games. The film Battleship is all about that. And that's how it connects to the actual board game, in that everything you do is giving information to your enemies, even though if you take no action, you're not going to get ahead either. Uh, which is actually more interesting than the actual game of Battleship.
3: Oh, significantly. That's actually really cool sounding. Yeah. No, that's, um... You know, going to to board games with this a classic um, game uh, that is entirely deterministic. There's no actual random elements, but is based on hidden information. Is the board game of Stratego uh, because each player, you know, out of the same pool of pieces, um, assembles them as they choose in a way that is hidden to their opponent. And so again, we have this idea where you attempt to Determine, uh, you know, what your opponent has done, what their piece configuration is, both through direct action. You know, once you run one of your pieces into their pieces, then they are mutually revealed and information is shared. But also based on other choices they make, if they seem to be protecting something or not moving something, that may say something about what they have chosen to place there. So
0: really, they should have made a Stratego movie, even though I don't know who Rihanna would have played in that case.
3: <laughs> the Queen. I, I guess. Uh. Yes, yes, the Queen in Stratego is a very powerful piece. <laughs> um, I guess I, I know more about risk-reward in, in board games and video games than in tabletop games. Well, it's a like, lot
4: more commonly explored in those, I think.
3: Yeah, especially in competitive puzzle games. Um, especially ones that are based on uh, sort of garbage theory where you're, the, the way that you attack the other player is by adding pieces to their screen, and if their screen fills up with pieces, they lose. But those pieces are also what you use to attack your opponent. Um, so the best place to be in that game is almost losing at all times, because that gives you the most easy. ammunition to use against your opponent.
2: Yeah, when the topic of uh, a risk-reward came up, my immediate thought was, you know, in like, say, Dark Souls or Revengeance, when you get the big, heavy weapon that does a lot of damage, but you telegraph it from a mile away and are very vulnerable while using it, uh, you know, you can, if you time it right, catch your enemy in a good place, you win big, but, you know, you always take the gamble of just, if you don't hit, you just get run around Backstabbed.
0: Uh, yeah, that's another good point that uh, you can think of risk reward in terms of uh, having a lot of variety in your build. Uh, to go back to our central example uh, uh, this week, Last Sand, uh, everything, we already mentioned, you know, building your powers. Are they very gambly or are they very safe? Even uh, how you spe- uh, set your stats, you know, are you. Uh, front-loaded in one stat so you're offensively practically unstoppable or are you more rounded so that your defenses actually you know matter hold up yeah <laughs>
4: <laughs> we have a good mix of both of those yeah, so yeah. Fun to
3: today yeah yeah looking at our our party composition i see you know two characters that have very balanced uh stat arrays so they will be high five uh, <laughs> high five uh, so th- they will be hard to keep down um, yep. w- and then the two characters with very uh, skewed stat arrays uh, will have the potential to simply overwhelm the enemy um, with as long as they manage to not get t- taken advantage of
4: yeah by well, putting on a wild card a- yeah by making one stat really high and another stat really low you end up basically having a weak point a way that opponents can come at you. Because how damage works in Last Stand is you take damage to your stats. When someone attacks you, you must defend with the exact same stat they're attacking you with. So having a, like, say a 2 in one stat is really, really bad. Because anyone who hits you there, like, damage will carry over to your other stats.
0: But it gives you so much more leeway to, to punch harder with a different stat.
4: Yeah, because, like, the same
3: guy <laughs> who's got a 1 in can be irresistible. As a 10 in one of their stats. So just have, having, you know, even just a, an 8 or something higher than that, almost, you know, the odds of successfully using any one of your powers starts to look very good. Yep. Um, and so, as long as you're weak, until the point where your weak point is exploited by the enemies, you are much more reliable on offense than a more balanced character is. However, they are more reliable as a defender. It will, you know, because their lowest stat will be higher. Uh, looking at our two balanced characters, their lowest stat is a four, um, mm-hmm. and so whereas on our most skewed character, the lowest stat is a one. So that is a pretty the bare minimum. Yeah, right? that's the your, all your stats start at one. They cannot go lower than that. Um, and so if that ends up becoming, um, you know, targeted by the enemies. That could be extremely bad news. Whereas these balanced characters can sort of, you know, take a few lumps to feel out a situation and not be too worried about that.
1: Uh, kind of going into that, though, uh... If you know what your opponent is doing, then, uh a lopsided character has the potential to become extremely powerful. For instance, uh, my character has, one of his stats is a 10. If I know that an enemy is going to attack that stat, I can potentially out-damage him. You can kill
4: him defensively. Yeah,
1: my my stat is so high. You know what they say about the
3: best defense.
1: defense, (laughs) I will instead kill
3: that person. I mean, of of course you should fight fire with fire. You should yeah, fight everything with fire. Idea.
1: Uh, if, if I may, one one thing that uh, pops up sometimes with risk... Every, every time we've been talking about risk and reward so far, that we've been talking about personal risk and reward. In Apocalypse games, when you fail a move, something bad happens to you. When you botch in Vampire or something like that, something happens to you, etc., etc., Something that's interesting about Last Stand is collateral can damage your entire team. So I I'm a little I'm kind of wondering how this is going to play out because you know my character has a number of collateral moves. So I I can I can stand out and look really cool to the detriment of the team. And I can like I can see I've known several people and thank God I don't play with them anymore who if they played Last Stand, they would throw a fit if their character was damaged by Collateral, just so somebody else could look cool. Yeah. So this this kind of, uh, the idea of Collateral kind of puts a maturity floor in there. You know, you must be this mature to play. Which is weird for a game about guys dressed up as bugs.
3: Extremely strong people dressed up as very strong bugs who respect each other's strength. There are no
0: larvae here. These are the most mature bugs you can find.
3: Are there any playable larvae, actually? I I didn't look too closely at that. Isn't a pill
4: bug larvae?
3: No,
0: no.
4: Oh, no, it's tick. Okay. Let me look at the power. I think we can
0: kill various (laughs) larval stages of, of giant invader insects and then rip their body parts off to use as weapons. But I'm pretty sure there are no larva uh, uh, bio-armors.
3: There are not.
1: I want to just have a bio-armor where I cocoon
3: until the battle is over. (laughs) Ah, yes. Metapod. Maximum
0: hardness. (laughs) There's no risk and no reward in... uh...
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, there is definitely no reward. For such no, what attractive. you do
1: is then you throw me into the enemy, and they waste all of their energy trying to attack the cocoon.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. And then and you then hatch you into two fly. different baby Mothras, and then you double team Godzilla, and the day is saved.
4: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about uh, like personal risk reward versus group risk reward, and I was just thinking of like worker placement board games. Where there's like a set of actions that everyone can take, but each person only gets a chance to take like a set number of them. Like you put a dude to mark the option you take it and then no one else can take that action. So it is like a competitive sort of risk like if I take this now, it might not be the best move for me, but I might not get a chance to take it later. And if I take it now, it denies that guy the thing. So if you don't take an option,
0: you run the risk of not
4: getting to take it later because of the group's choices
0: stone age is uh is a great game for that and just a really good game all around uh if anyone listening that uh that perked your ears and and you want to play an example of that i recommend stone age
4: i think the quintessential example is um what was it argentina that's not right i don't know but i've been playing a lot of um Argent the consortium lately and that's what I that's what mm-hmm. that's what's been getting me on that cuz it's a good game. Level 99 makes good games. Look at their stuff.
2: I do like uh, I've played Pixel Tactics in there. So that's enjoyed that. Yeah.
4: It's in the same universe like all their stuff. So You'll recognize some characters
0: if you go and play Argent after that. So what are some drawbacks? Like, uh, th- these mechanics aren't found in everything. Why? What are they not good at? Why do people choose not to use them? And because they're stupid isn't always a valid answer.
2: <laughs> I was sort of thinking of times where, you know, the risk is, you know, so awful that uh, the DM never invokes it. Or, you know, or there's a way to completely mitigate the risk and just get all the reward. I was thinking of... Uh, know material components for wizards kind of in the in the older dungeons and dragons where theoretically you know you've got this the reward is magic spells the risk is if you lose this bag no magic spells
0: and uh uh ritual components in fourth edition got ignored at pretty much every table
1: for the same reason <laughs> yeah, yeah nobody wants to keep track of how much back water they have and it's so boring to play a wizard who can't cast spells, because then you just sit there.
0: Almost as boring as roleplaying actually collecting bat guano. <laughs> Almost.
4: Almost as
1: boring as playing a fighter. Oh. Except for in 4th edition, then it's the best thing.
4: Yeah, 4th edition fighters are great. Um, yeah, I was thinking, like, the only actual risk-free game tabletop game that I can think of is one called Retro Causality by Etten Paul Etten and that is a game about time travel which like doesn't like it has a resolution system where you flip a card from a deck but it's like 50-50 you either need red card or you need black card depending on how you want to change the past but uh so there's like not any really risk to it it's just if you try to do something complicated to fuck with the time stream you gotta flip a card um and the core mechanic of that is, like, there's a bunch of note cards lining historical events that are important to the party, and whenever anyone messes with it, they write a new note card and place it on top of it, and then you figure out how that changes the cards after it in the time stream. So it's, like, it's, a, a, I guess, like, fiasco, too. Like, narrative sorts of games, the ones I can think of, like, fully narrative, are the ones I can think of where there aren't any actual risk elements. Like, everything uses something.
0: Well, I, I suppose then it's where do you draw the line between there's a chance of bad things happening yeah, uh, and an actual, like, risk-reward uh, uh, mechanic.
4: Right. There's a big difference between having risk and designing around risk. With
1: yeah. if you guys know the, car, the, the, like, the worst card game in the, war, in the World War?
0: -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: where you're just flipping cards. That's all you do. That's the only game I can think of that doesn't have any risk reward because you have no choice. You have no reward. Yeah, (laughs) nothing happens. You just waste your time. The
3: reward comes when you figure this out about. (laughs) (laughs) It's about self actualization, really.
1: (laughs) The reward comes once you start realizing where the aces are, and you start palming cards, and then I've won every game of war I've ever played. Yeah,
4: it's it's a magician's game. You gotta shuffle the deck so all your big cards come out. I don't the right know why. Point.
1: For some reason, War of all games makes me hyper competitive. <laughs> like I have to win War of all of all <laughs> games, and so I cheat like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> well, that'll also actually end the game. Yeah, I can't stand losing War. Hmm? Like this is bullshit. Fate will not control me. <laughs>
0: Uh, I think one thing uh, that that makes these mechanics so popular, at least to some degree, uh, whether it's uh, uh, very pronounced or just rather mild, is that uh, it, it's just a, a natural way to build or to present stakes. Uh, it, it's it's pretty much like tautological. It is stakes, so. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, when, I, I just thought of a reason why we don't see codified risk-reward as much. It's uh, One of the reasons is a lot of RPGs have class-based systems. And, you know, this game, everything is modular. The, the armor you show up with, each individual ability can be swapped about and all that jazz to make completely different characters and in fact the basic way to create a character is to randomly draw your powers but think of something like i immediately thought of risk reward and dungeon dragons 3.5 and and they always did the same thing you know they put out a book for spellcasters, and it's full of, of fun stuff and spells and new things and then they put out a book for martial characters, and it's risk-reward things like what happens if your sword breaks. And so all of the risk gets piled on to certain classes.
4: And all the reward onto different ones.
1: Yeah, it's really hard if you have a, a class-based system. It's really hard, unless you make every class pretty much the same thing, to balance risk and reward so that everything makes sense, and then you have like, what if one class has this huge risk reward thing, and then they end up killing themselves and ruining the plot? That that happens in, in Warhammer 40k with psychers, right? You know, they yeah. they they summon a demon. Oh well, I guess that's the end of the game. Yeah, it's oops! Just, I accidentally I'm, brought
4: the end of times.
1: Yeah, it can, especially for a class based game, it can be hard to balance between classes and risk reward is already really hard to balance anyway it's a whole nother type of hard if you have to balance risk reward for fighters and wizards
0: you can think of a, uh, a very pronounced risk and reward mechanic as something analogous to say uh, uh, disadvantages in a point by system or like ah, i'm colorblind so that gives me the points i need to get this awesome spell and, oh, whoops, it never matters that I'm colorblind, sorry. Uh, and, so. so fine, uh, I'm not
4: driving the car.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can imagine something where, uh, you know, a choice is either really. Uh, you're, you're never going to get a drawback that's bad enough to make you think twice of taking it, or you're never going to uh, get a benefit that's worth the risk enough that you'll even think about trying. Uh, yeah.
1: The it, more the more complex It's a tight system,
0: design challenge. Uh, yeah, the especially more the more complex it
1: gets. Gets the harder it is to really do a risk reward system because the more way the more things you give to people, the more likely you're going to accidentally mitigate risk.
2: Yeah, I want, I've been designing my own 13th age class, you know, more specifically for me to play. Uh, and it's it's basic mechanic is it's a spellcaster and it gets to see what it can cast by playing Yahtzee. Uh, as you cast your weak spells, you get dice. As you get sets of dice, you get better spells. Uh, and you can either choose to take specific dice or more random dice. And trying to make sure that you know that there's a really good reason to do one or the other, and it's not always the better choice. Just load yourself with random dice, and spam the kind of okay spell was the trouble in making sure the math all lined up.
4: Sounds complicated,
2: but fun. Yes, yeah, so it's it's very much like written, this is the level of complexity I want in this class, and kind of not worried too much about making it broadly applicable to anyone else. Just me and my GM need to be the only people who okay it.
0: Well, I'm sure plenty of people will be curious in your, uh, to, to see your results anyhow. <laughs> let's see. Uh, I guess let's move on to final thoughts. Uh, what are some... Uh, uh, anything else knocking around in, in everyone's noggins about this sort of uh, uh, design
3: challenge? The game with the best risk-reward system is Yoshi's Cookie.
4: Yeah. Tell us more.
3: Wait, Seriously? Yes! Yeah. Okay, so in Yoshi's Cookie, um, as in in Versus Mode, uh, there there are the five normal types of cookies and then the special Yoshi cookie that looks like Yoshi's head, and that Yoshi cookie is what enables you to perform attacks. And your attacks change on a regular time interval over the course of the game. However, they're not always beneficial. So, um, you... And depending on how you play, you may get more or less Yoshi Cookies on your board. Um, and you may eventually get to the point where the only thing you can do is match Yoshi Cookies, but this can present a problem if your current attack is one that is beneficial for your opponent um, for you to perform that attack. And so once you have some Yoshi Cookies built up, to ask yourself, do I want to build more and risk putting myself into this corner where either either I have to do something that harms myself, or I have to wait and hope that the random attack generator turns something good into something bad for me to use. And a lot of high-level strategy in Yoshi's Cookie um, is sort of around dealing with this kind of situation and how to use your time productively while you're caught in this awkward situation that happens from time to time because it is largely controlled uh, randomly, and so even you you can't avoid this entirely merely through play skill. Um, And I have my own ways of dealing with this, but other high-level Yoshi Kuki players have their own preferences for how to deal with it. I like to completely overload my board with Yoshi cookies and then set up to do a powerful chain attack. So I'm gambling. Essentially I'm, I'm saying I bet that the next thing that comes up for me will be good. And when that happens, I will be able to perform this powerful chain attack at you and send you so far back that there's no way you can win the game. Uh, Whereas uh, some of the other top players are a lot more cautious they, try, they say, I don't want to overload on this. I try and keep my Yoshi Cookies at a more middling amount. It means they don't have the option of the powerful chain attack that I do, but it means that they also avoid potentially awkward situations that I am more likely to run into.
4: Like, uh, the the attacks can be against yourself, right? That's the downside? Like, they can be right. against either player?
3: It, yeah. Right. Your attacks yeah. could... It could be that, you know, you're giving points to the other player as your current attack, and you don't want to do that. Points are good in this game. Um, But then, you know, if, depending on how you play, you know, I am likely to just have to sit there and wait for three and a half seconds for it to change and pray that it turns into something good. Like one player plus three. Right. Whereas the more cautious players will have more options in that situation.
1: Kind of just Now that you said that, what I'm thinking is I think risk-reward mechanics work best either in single-player competitive games or single-player games, period. Because you have, like, you control your own risk and reward. Medibot can create his own strategy. But let's say there was some sort of tag-team Yoshi's cookie and I was eating all his cookies, I ruined his
3: strategy. Right. I think, and, I think that's an many... important thing to mention is that, like, with risk-reward, the mechanic doesn't work unless the player understands that they're taking a risk. Yeah. And so there is some element of um, system knowledge going on. I wouldn't, like, I only developed this strategy once I understood the system and realized I, that I was allowed to take this risk. And I enjoy the reward enough that I frequently do take the risk.
1: And I I would say uh, a big thing about risk-reward is, at least, this might just be a preference. I prefer it when I choose the risk for a reward I choose rather than having a risk inflicted on me. Uh, If, again, kind of the Yoshi's Cookie thing... If I were playing some sort of team puzzle game, I could ruin Medibot's game by taking a risk that he thinks is absolutely stupid because I'm a bad player. And that would probably be really frustrating for him. But you got something like Dark Souls, you can take whatever risk you feel comfortable with because you're the one who has to deal with the consequences. In 4th edition, I've seen a lot of strikers take huge risks to do damage, and then they'll die and suddenly the team is down a person, and the entire game is more difficult, and that can be kind of frustrating.
3: Right, and that ties into general general strategy of cooperative games, um, where the, the team does need to be coordinated and be on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Which can get awkward in cooperative games that almost make more sense as single-player games with one player controlling the multiple units. Yeah, Yeah, I've been thinking
4: this whole time, like, XCOM and Fire Emblem are this exact sort of thing where you can take a risk with an individual dude. And if it goes badly, well, you still have five more. That's okay, you can keep playing. It isn't quite as good always in a tabletop
0: game. Just keep some guys in your pocket and you'll be fine.
4: Yeah, just keep some extras.
3: You got your six pack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's play paranoia then. The,
0: the risk is you're playing paranoia. The reward is you might not be playing paranoia soon.
3: <laughs> what, wait, what? I mean, that Hold sounds on. like a takedown. But until we don't like paranoia, <laughs> no, no. Station. I mean,
0: that,
3: that's a that's a positive.
4: I like paranoia, but wish it was mechanically better. I will leave it at that. Wait, you know I, the rules? I'll
3: give you that. It has some problems. That's, it has.
4: That's true. Yeah. I know that's part of the problem.
2: <laughs> Truly, so let's the greatest
3: last stand. Yeah,
2: the do best do that game thing. of paranoia I had woo. was the, sold as paranoia. My last stand. Oh, last stand. All right.
0: Does, oh, does everybody else uh, uh, seed their their call to final thoughts?
2: Uh, yeah. yes. Okay. For <laughs> supporting these. Days.
0: Gonna Last
2: stand.
0: Hush, so I can summarize. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so I think the conclusions we've come to is that uh, uh, risk and record, uh, reward mechanics are very difficult to get uh, right so that they don't uh, make themselves unappealing and so that they can uh, really. Engage that sense of tension, that sense of uh, high-octane drama, uh, whether it's uh, uh, in a combat system or narratively. Which is why you see them most often in a digital and uh, very often in a more single-player context. So it's notable uh, when a, a tabletop game comes around, which is neither of those things, both you know, analog and cooperative, uh, that, that manages to pull it off in such a cool way. So, uh, we're going to play th- that very game, one of few. And uh, so, join us in that that next file in, in your pod catcher list uh, where we're going to play us some Last Stand. Now, you can make that noise. Last Stand! Last Last yes!
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, folks. Welcome
4: to the Last Stand project.
2: Last Stand!